Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. Way back in 2016, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission issued a report about workplace harassment. The report, for those who read it, was shocking. It found that the problem was persistent and pervasive. It found that harassment often goes unreported and that businesses protect their superstars. It took another year for the Me Too movement to capture the world's attention. When it did, it underscored what the EEOC warned about and too many workers already knew. We need to do something about workplace harassment. I'm Dory Goldstein. And I'm Eleanor Tyler. And that's what we're talking about today, harassment in the workplace and how to go about solving it. The Me Too movement focused on sexual harassment, but today we're going to talk about harassment a little more broadly. That's right. Other forms of harassment, like racial harassment and religious harassment, are also a big problem in too many workplaces. And despite the fact that cities and states have responded to Me Too by beefing up their harassment laws, it doesn't seem to be moving the needle. Here to talk to us about harassment and how to move that needle is Chai Feldblum. Chai is a former EEOC commissioner and served as co-chair of the agency's Select Task Force on the Study of Harassment in the Workplace. She currently serves as a director of Workplace Culture Consulting at Morgan Lewis and joins us just a few days after testifying in front of a subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee about harassment in the judiciary. Welcome, Chai. It's a pleasure to be here and to talk with both of you. We are so happy to have you. So, hi, I know the EEOC's report on harassment was issued almost four years ago now, and the Me Too movement of focusing on sexual harassment really took off about two years ago. So we're in a place where people are more informed about harassment and aware of it than ever before. Is it still a problem? Well, yes, workplace harassment is, of course, still a problem. The reality, as I think we all know, is that harassment is often the result of deep-seated social and cultural variables. Hello, those don't change overnight. Okay, is sexual harassment the main problem? How big of a problem are other forms of harassment? Well, here's the sad, bad news. There is harassment going on in the workplace on all bases that are currently protected under federal or state law. While sex-based harassment charges were certainly the majority of harassment charges the EEOC received, I will tell you, race-based harassment charges were right behind them in terms of numbers. And we saw harassment on all the other bases, disability, age, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, We saw all of those at the commission. So the reality is that employers have to face all of those. And the truth is, the structural responses that employers can come up with to stop sexual harassment can stop all forms of harassment. But they need to be intentional about that up front and not just be focusing on sexual harassment. So what do you mean about those structural reforms? How do we we stop this harassment? For many years, I think employers thought that the way to stop harassment was to have a policy that says you can't harass people, procedures where people could report, and training about harassment. And all of those things are very important. None of those things should be stopped. 
a lot of them can be made better, and we have ideas about how to make them better, but all of those are important. But they're not sufficient to stop harassment in a structural way. And this comes from the social science. I mean, one of the main things we did in the Select Task Force was have it equally divided between lawyers representing employers, lawyers representing employees, and academics from psychology, sociology, organizational behavior that had been studying harassment for years. And what they taught us is that what one has to do to prevent harassment is to think more broadly about one's workplace culture. Ultimately, it comes down to workplace culture. What is tolerated and what is not tolerated in the culture. When you say culture in the context of a workplace, what do you mean as far as things that need to change? Culture is what employees experience on the ground when they come to work day in, day out. Every organization, I think we all know this, every organization, every company has usually a set of stated values, often very good values. The question is whether and how those values are cascaded down and reflected in reality in work settings within that organization or that company. That's the culture that we're talking about. Okay, so does that mean that employers should be paying attention to bad behavior even if it's not illegal, things that fall below that line? Absolutely. Employers should try to stop unwelcome behavior based on a protected characteristic at even the most minimal level, right? Prevention means stopping bad conduct before it rises to the level of being illegal. And that's what employers should be focused on, as well as making sure there's not illegal harassment. It's not one thing or the other. It is both. So there are these federal, state, and local laws that prohibit harassment. If employers sort of check all of those compliance boxes, is that enough to address harassment in the workplace? It's not enough if employers are focused just on the law as opposed to how the law fits in to their overall efforts to stop harassment. But I think we should be clear that the laws are essential, right? I mean, first, law provides remedies to those who have experienced harassment. And even with the best prevention, even with all the work that I can see employers putting in right now, there will be people who will still experience harassment in the workplace and they will need legal remedies. Second, laws are very important because they are a great incentive for employers to think about taking the intentional and strategic steps they need to take to stop harassment. Do you think the Me Too movement helped encourage employer buy-in to these ideas to like really get them on board with harassment prevention? I think the Me Too movement has been absolutely essential for getting employers to focus on this issue of stopping harassment in a way that they did not focus on before. The Me Too movement has been essential. The Me Too movement has now created an opportunity because employers are focused 
The challenge is, are we going to take that opportunity and do something smart and strategic and sustainable as organizations and companies? What type of workplace culture should they aim for? Positive things they can change. The best road to prevention of harassment is by having what we call a safe, respectful, diverse, and inclusive workplace. An SRDI workplace. That's what employers should be aiming for. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by safe and respectful? You know, we all know that we have to feel physically safe in a workplace in order to be doing our jobs, right? If we were sitting in a room and I told you, oh, there was a um, toxic chemical spill last night in the in the room above us, but don't worry, we'll, we'll move if it starts dripping down. I would leave that room. How would you feel? <laughs> I would leave that no. room. <laughs> would this podcast be a good podcast? No, <laughs> right? We all understand that one needs physical safety to be productive. Workers have to feel psychologically safe to be productive, which basically consists of two components. They have to feel safe to speak up about ideas and about problems that they see, including, for example, a problem of harassment. They have to feel safe speaking up and they have to feel safe about making a mistake. And the social science research is clear that psychological safety is the most important driver of a productive workplace. Now, how do you make people feel psychologically safe? You treat them with respect. When people are treated with respect, when they are feeling valued, they feel safe coming forward with ideas and complaints about problems and feel safe about making mistakes. When you recently testified before Congress, you talked about five elements to achieve an SRDI workplace. And they were leadership, cultural assessment, accountability, effective policies and procedures, and training that works. I want to talk about each one, but let's start with leadership. How many times have you heard the phrase, it starts at the top? Right? A billion. And when I was starting this work, my reaction was, thank you for sharing. What does that mean? What does that mean? And again, it's fascinating. The research really tells us what that means. It requires three things. First, leaders actually have to believe that an SRDI workplace is something they want and something that's important, right? If leaders hold that core belief, much else is gonna flow naturally from that. And if they don't really believe it, many of these other elements we're about to talk about, they're either gonna be hard to adopt or they're not gonna have their desired effect. And then there are the next two elements. One, leaders have to say that in written words, which is why policies are important, orally, which is why it's important when it's said in certain circumstances, and they have to act in a way that makes their employees think that the leaders are authentic. Okay, what about cultural assessment? You talked about looking at the culture and figuring out where you are. If workplace culture is so important, Leaders have to understand what their workplace culture is. Now, 
A lot of times employers use these broad employee engagement surveys. You know, they ask a hundred questions about a lot of things, including how employees are feeling about the workplace. And those are useful, but of limited use um, because there's only so much you can get through people answering a survey, you know, by clicking buttons of whether they agree or disagree. Some, you get a snapshot, but only some. Often they ask a narrative question, you know, tell us something that would best change your experience. And if you read through those narrative comments, you can get also some insight. But what we have found is that the best way to find out what's going on is to talk to the employees. And that's more labor intensive but it works. But I will tell you one of the key things about an assessment, and we say this to anyone we're talking to about it, the leadership has to be committed ahead of time to think about ways to address the concerns that will be surfaced. Practically worse than uh, not doing the cultural assessment is doing the assessment, having people get engaged, and then nothing happens. Is that what you mean when you talk about accountability, which is the next element? Accountability focuses largely on holding people accountable if they act in a way that undermines an SRDI workplace. And there are three separate groups of people who have to be held accountable. The first is the group people tend to think about, the people who actually engage in bad behavior. The second group, and this is such a key group, are the people responsible for responding to bad behavior, either a complaint that they receive or bad behavior that they directly observe. And often supervisors and managers do not want to deal with what they often see as personal problems. No, accountability means that supervisors and managers and HR people have to respond appropriately when they get complaints of bad behavior. The third group of people who have to be held accountable is anyone who has retaliated against someone who has reported harassment or other bad behavior. And anyone who retaliates against someone who has participated in an investigation about that bad behavior. Because the main reason people do not come forward and report is they are afraid of being retaliated against. Okay, so how about effective policies and procedures? That's the fourth element you talked about. The reality is that employers have had policies against harassment on all bases and procedures for reporting and investigating for years. I mean, lots of employers don't have those, and we saw those employers uh, in charges that came to the EOC, but most large companies and organizations do have policies and procedures. I think this is the moment for every employer to hit restart on policies and procedures. I think this is the moment for every employer to take a look at their policies and procedures and make sure they are truly working well. Policies have got to be simple and clear. Policies do not need a lot of legalese about what is illegal harassment. 
They need very clear descriptions of the types of behaviors from disrespectful behavior to bullying behavior to harassment that employers will not permit. In terms of procedures, the key thing is to make the procedure safe, easy, and fair, right? You want to have a way of reporting where people feel safe and that they won't be retaliated against, where it's easy, which means that there's not just one place you might go. It's not that you report just to your supervisor or just to HR. The best procedure gives employees options for where to report. Their own supervisor, another supervisor, an office the organization has set up to receive the reports. So you want multiple options. And then you want a procedure that has timely and effective investigations. And usually this comes down to money. Having a timely, fair, and effective investigation depends on money. It depends on the employer deciding to commit the resources necessary to hire a sufficient number of investigators who are well-trained. What makes training good or bad? How does this fit in? Yeah, so training. You know, what's fascinating about training is that that was the main tool that employers used for years as their tool to stop harassment. But anti-harassment training on its own is unlikely to create the SRDI workplace that employers should want. And there's a different type of training. It has different names. We call it respectful workplaces training. But the key two elements of that training is that it focuses on the continuum of behavior, having respectful behavior be the norm in the workplace. So well before the revelations about Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer, that 2016 task force identified the problem of the superstar employee, someone that employers are unwilling to punish or fire because of their perceived value, even if they misbehave and harass other uh, employees. Is that still a problem? And if it is, can changing culture address it? I think we all know that what we called in the EEOC report, the superstar harasser, is still a problem. I I think we all know that it is difficult for an organization or company to discipline or terminate someone whom they perceive as having high value to them in whatever way value is understood in that organization or company because that person might have engaged in harassment or other bad behavior. I think we all know that. I think we all know that is still a problem. But I think the cost-benefit analysis is beginning to change. Because the cost-benefit analysis that had been made before the Me Too era about a superstar harasser, that it was more costly to get rid of the person than the benefit they would get from getting rid of the person. And I think now, in some situations at least, 
the organization or the company is realizing that the cost to them of keeping that type of person in their workplace is way higher than the benefit they will receive if they remove that toxic person. Thank you so much, Chai, for joining us. If listeners want to follow more of your work, where can they find you? Well, the best is on the Morgan Lewis website, where my email address is chai.felbloom at morganlewis.com. I also do have a Twitter account at Chai Felbloom. You can link with me on LinkedIn. And I am trying to post on Twitter and LinkedIn as much as I can. Let me just say, it's been a little busy at this new job (laughs) in terms of all of this work, and I am very happy about that. (laughs) Well, that's great news. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's been a delight to talk with both of you and a delight to be part of this continuing conversation that I think we all hope will make real change. That was Haifel Bloom talking about the cultural shift that needs to happen to keep harassment out of the workplace. Hai's recommendations seem really straightforward and accessible, but changing culture is a really big lift. I think what makes it hard is that businesses have to prioritize changing culture over other short-term goals, just like she talked about. It's time and money. Talking about removing that superstar harasser is one thing, and actually doing it is a whole other. Thank you to Chai Feldblum for joining us, and Aaron Perigini, who suggested and helped prepare this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dory underscore Goldstein. That's D-O-R-I underscore G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm at Eleanor S. Tyler. That's at E-L-E-A-N-O-R underscore S underscore T-Y-L-E-R. This is the last episode in season one of Law X.0. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in May with season two. We've already lined up some pretty great guests and some fascinating topics. We'll see you then. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Those aren't the only down ballot races we're watching, are they? In states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, will Democrats be able to defend their majority in the House this year? Will Republicans keep their majority in the Senate? Are there other members who wish to record their presence? Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. 26, and that is the number of women who will be serving the United States Senate when it swears in Georgia Republican Kelly Leffler. Along the way, we'll cover all of the numbers that matter. So a really interesting thing is how much national security background and experience so many of them are bringing to this job and interview key players in the congressional elections. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.